I'm really excited by the democratization of entrepreneurship that we're starting to see. And everything that I do is really just in line with that goal. Through my story, I'm just a great example of someone who wasn't necessarily positioned to be a successful entrepreneur. I didn't have a family of entrepreneurs. I wasn't born into a lot of money. There's a lot of reasons to be discouraged. I mean, being an entrepreneur is hard enough, right? Without all that extra sort of baggage. And I'm excited to help people take the leap and to let people know that there's not a certain type of person that's positioned to be a successful entrepreneur. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals to think big, start small, and learn fast. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Jamie Schmidt, founder of Smitch Naturals, a natural personal care brand that she scaled from her kitchen to acquisition by Unilever in 2017. And in that process, Jamie led a movement of modern brands bringing naturals to the mainstream. Today, the brand is sold in over 30 countries, 30,000 retailers, and Jamie continues to support its global expansion. Since then, she focused her efforts on enabling other entrepreneurs to pursue their own visions of a better future. She started an inclusive investment firm, Colour, where Jamie invests directly in emerging founders of primarily women and people of colour. She also started an ambitious media company, Supermaker, to celebrate inclusivity and disruptive, innovative brands. The book was launched in 2020. But today, Jamie is now focused on starring on season one of Going Public. The show is the first ever that will enable viewers to invest in the companies on screen as they follow the cast of diverse entrepreneurs facing challenging topics to raise company capital and potentially get listed on the Nasdaq. On Going Public, Jamie will help the show's entrepreneurs take their own brands to a global audience. There's so much here that resonates with our mission too at Nobody Studios about giving access to all for entrepreneurs. But before we get started about what Jamie's doing today, let's take a quick look back about what got her started. There's been, you know, especially in the early adulthood, a lot of just feelings of being unsettled and not 100% fulfilled. But I didn't know what that meant or really what that looked like to me. And so I figured I had to get my hands dirty to figure it out. And so, you know, I was fortunate and then I might had the parental support to go to college. So I grew up in this tiny little town in Michigan, went to Michigan State, got my degree in business and sort of just chose business because it seemed practical and my brother had done it and my parents were paying. And so I went that route, but still not really knowing, you know, what I wanted to do. And then I graduated and I quickly found myself working my way up the ladder in human resources. and but still feeling there was something more I had to figure out or to learn. And so, yeah. (laughs) Human resources is always an interesting one because it's one of these really interesting functions where it's about people and it's about performance as well at the same time, right? And we've had like some fantastic guests like Annette from Pepsi who ran HR for them, but actually started as an accountant. And she was just so into like understanding like shifts in behavior and an effect it could have on the company's growth, but also being really intentional about growing a great culture. So she just found her way into human resources and loved it. Your story is almost like starting from human resources and then sort of finding, you know, your way into starting businesses and growing teams. So what were some of the things that you took with you from that role as you started your entrepreneurial journey? Or was there stuff that you were like, you know what, I need to leave this behind and do very, very different if, if I was ever going to start my own business? One thing that was interesting about working in HR was that I found all these different positions really fascinating. 
I, here I was going over policies and procedures and payroll, you know, with all the new hires and, and then just feeling a little envious. Like they get to go and do all these cool jobs and, you know, and so I think that that's really what inspired me was just talking to these other people who had, I guess, sort of found their thing or their passion. And so, you know, every person I talked to sort of lit a little fire under me and leaving human resources was not easy. I had a lot of security, had been working for MacArthur Foundation in Chicago, which had amazing benefits and pay. But when it came time to leave, you know, there, I, I took a lot with me. And I, after that, I had a little kind of soul searching journey, a little break where I worked some small side jobs, worked at a, a hot dog shack, had a couple other little temp assignments. But my goal there was to find something I could take with me from every experience that I could, you know, somehow apply to my thing, whatever my thing was that I would figure out later. And so that's, you know, one thing I find myself telling people now who are stuck in jobs they don't like is figure out something about that job that you can take with you that'll somehow make you, you know, a stronger performer in your in your dream job. But of course, with that, there's a lot to, you know, like you, like we talk about unlearn. We get caught up in these patterns of, you know, this is how the corporate world works. And this is how, the, you know, you have one boss and you assume that every boss sort of has these same expectations and the same same expectations of you in your role. And so for me, like I had one of my bosses was really sort of unpredictable, right? There'd be days when she'd come into work and have a really positive attitude and really excited to see me. And then the next day would be a little bit cranky. And so that, I think I had to, I guess, unlearn in the spirit of this podcast that, you know, not all leadership looks like that. And so, you know, fast forward to when I'm leading my business, jumping ahead a little bit here, what does it mean to be a boss? How do I unlearn these habits that have been, or these, um, I guess, ways that had been instilled in me from the bosses that I have, had learned from? So true. Like, it's one of the things we hear on the show all the time. And it's almost like a life lesson, right? You, you only know what you see, the environment around you. And it's very easy, almost by osmosis, for good behaviors to come in, bad behaviors to come in, like good lessons to come in, bad lessons to come in. But that ability to sort of sift through things and sort of synthesize and say, you know what, what I want to bring forward to my next thing is this is the good behaviors I want to bring. When I'm a boss and I'm growing my company, what are the way do I want to show up and how do I want to help people do that? And we see this a huge amount in the studio as well, right? We're, we're launching like hundreds of companies. We meet new founders sort of every week and everyone has a different leadership style. Some first time founders never built a business in their life. So everything is new from figuring out the business to growing a team. You know, the founders that have had their fingers burnt and been through numerous startups. And sometimes they actually carry more baggage because they're sort of so frustrated with why the last thing didn't work. And this time it's going to work. And they're almost forcing these behaviors that sometimes actually even aren't natural to them. They're trying to be something, model a different type of leader rather than just being themselves. Right. And when I hear you talk about your natural experimentation, natural, I'm going to learn something from this and feed it forward to my next thing that I do, whether it's a job, whether it's an opportunity. I imagine that that sort of mindset must have been phenomenally helpful for you as you started to grow natural and take the company like from, as you say, from the garage, like literally from the garage, right? To like the highways of Isles and Target and Costco and Walmart, right? So how did you just keep tabs on yourself as the things you were presenting, the things you, you probably were like, uh-oh, I don't need to do that anymore. What helped you keep track of yourself? You know, I think one of the hardest parts for me was there's this certain sort of stigma around, or I guess sort of persona around what a, what a leader looks like, right? Like what type of personality they have, how they, how they speak to their teams and how they 
carry or compose themselves. And that tripped me out for a bit when I was, you know, new boss, right? Meeting this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm sort of stuck in my head of like, I have to speak a certain way. You know, I have to present myself a certain way. But I realized, you know, it sort of clicked like the best way to lead a team is just to be yourself. I had read something early in Billy Schmidt that said, there's power in soft leadership style. And naturally, I, my tendency is softness, right? And so I think that this kind of sort of gave me the confidence to move forward in leading my team as me. You know, of course, there were things I had to learn and moments I had to step up or emotions I had to you know, manage. But I think what I encourage you know, leaders that are listening to this is like, don't obsess over like this certain way that we think we're supposed to lead our teams or the certain type of personalities that we see as like, you know, in movies and, and highlighted as powerful executives in the media. It's an archetype the media paints, right? Mm-hmm. It's like this quintessential founder, you know, and, and then some parts of your story sort of are part of that superhero story, right? The I did it from the garage all the way through. And right. I'm, sure, I'm sure there was pressure to sort of live up to this persona. And yeah. uh, so it's so refreshing, you know, to hear again, this notion of like, it doesn't take any energy to be yourself, but it's very hard to believe in yourself, to lead as you are. And, you know, I hear that again and again on the show, right? Like a lot of leaders are like, you know, when I was able to just be me and not try to be somebody else or not try to live up to these archetypes or it actually didn't take any energy because I was just being me, right? And I could actually put all my energy into building the company or building people around me or, and, you know, I think it's, again, it's another one of these little things that's really, it can be really powerful, but it it's a bold step sometimes for people to be just comfortable with who they are. And it's, I'm good enough just to be me, just to lead that that is my natural style. And sure, I'll get feedback of things I could do better. Or as you say, times you have to step up that take energy to do that. But I think being okay with who you are as a person, your style of leadership is something I certainly had to learn over years and still will have to be remind myself at times. Yeah. And we evolve as humans too, right? So it becomes a little trickier too. Like you think you have it figured out and then, you you know, you change too. Or you you hire a new team member and the whole dynamics going off. And, you know, what does that mean? And I think the biggest takeaway is, you know, that I've learned is don't be afraid to admit what you don't know, you know, ask for help where you need it. And just like, just let keeping that ego under control is just everything. And part of that comes with hiring a team you can trust and people who you're proud to have representing your brand and just letting them take the reins sometimes and just open communication too. I think that's key, you know, just transparency across the team. And I think even, you know, think about brands today, like, you know, I, I started my company in 2010, sold it in 2017, and I haven't led a team since. I think a lot about just brands today, especially after COVID and how that has impact us, impacted so many people just emotionally and the, the team dynamics and, you know, how that's taken a toll on leaders. And, you know, I'm an investor now. And so I, I see it. I see the impact, you know, some of the, the brands I invest in and the, the founders that I work with. And it's crazy. <laughs> I think our tolerance for each other has sort of expanded and morphed a little bit over the last couple of years. Yeah, I hope so. You know, and that's a really good area to think a little bit about, right? So. When I think about your dots here of you've spent time in HR understanding people, mm-hmm. this ability to like find and hire and bring the right people into your company as you're growing it. As an investor, like in many ways, most investors look for the people that they seem to make investment in rather than the product is what they might be just happening to be working on at the time. 
Can you share a little bit of your philosophy or thinking there that you've learned from those like different steps or things that you took from each one of those sort of experiences and how they inform your thinking today? Yeah, as an investor today, I think I I have a little more open-mindedness to founders that are a bit, you know, untraditional because that was me. And so I'm right. Yeah. And I, you know, I'll see the potential of people in a way that other investors might not. Right. So like credentials, I don't obsess over again, like how, you know, how founder might carry themselves, but it's, it's more about like, like I can sense the passion. I can sense the real commitment and devotion to, you know, making their company amazing. And it's just, when you have these conversations, people, you will know, you know, within a few few minutes. And of course, product is everything too, right? The potential of business and the opportunity in the market and the differentiation, all that plays in just like any traditional investor. But I think I have a little bit of a special sort of ability to, to sense a founder's potential that, you know, maybe a investor who hasn't ever been a founder you know, might have. Yeah. And it's so special, right? Like we find that in the studio too, as well, because, mm-hmm. you know, like I live in San Francisco, right? So I have to live the life of every day. Somebody talking about like who got funded and who did this exit and, yeah. you know, did they go down Sand Hill Road and da, 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 da. And, like, honestly, it's just tiring and boring, right? Mm-hmm. Because the archetype is so narrow for the people who get the airtime and the people who get the support. You know, right. one of the reasons we wanted to start the studio specifically, because I, I don't believe the next big idea is coming from Silicon Valley, or I actually think it's, uh, you know, some kid in Nigeria or some kid in Delhi, or the ability to sort of like reach out to these huge populations that are coming online faster, that are mobile natives from the beginning, that are you know, solving uh, very specific problems for the areas that they're in that have huge populations to be supported. And, you know, like finding ways to give those people an opportunity to be heard, to be supported, to get behind them. And it's one of these reasons I think the power of the crowd is so exciting to me, both in terms of like people that can be involved as investors. Like, mm-hmm. why can't that person in Nigeria have like 20 bucks and invested in a private company from the beginning? Because it's a well creation asset that they should be entitled to have access to. It shouldn't be locked up to a small number of people. And, and if yeah. they're contributing to ideas that you're building, why wouldn't they see a little bit of upside in if it's successful or not? And I think it's really, really interesting to sort of start looking at that, right? And your inspiration then again, like with starting your fund color, right? And specifically looking for emerging and underrepresented entrepreneurs to support them in your work and the huge amount of mentoring you put in you know, even spending time here with us to share your insights is a gift, but you you really work hard at it. So tell us a little bit about, you know, your inspiration for that really, and the energy it gives you and maybe even what some of your thesis is about what the future of, of making looks like as well. I'm really excited by the democratization of entrepreneurship that we're starting to see. And everything that I do is really just in line with that goal. Through my story, I'm you know, just a great example of someone who wasn't necessarily positioned to be a successful entrepreneur. You know, I didn't have a family of entrepreneurs. I wasn't born into a lot of money. There's a lot of reasons to be discouraged. I mean, being an entrepreneur is hard enough, right? Without all that extra sort of baggage. And I'm excited to help people take the leap and to let people know that there's not a certain type of person that's positioned to be a successful entrepreneur. And I think, you know, not just through my efforts, of course, but there's we're seeing a lot more happening in the world with Things like, you know, access to capital that other, you know, before founders never could tap into, like investing through like Regulation A plus and crowdsourcing and, and things like that. There's just, you know, that leads into one of my projects I'm working on now is I'm on the show going public. And the goal there is to 
basically fundraise for these companies through Regulation A+, which enables viewers who are watching the show to invest in the brands where they watch. And so these companies, these founders, who otherwise might have trouble raising, raising capital, are tapping into this audience of viewers that they never would have access to. And then it's also democratizing investment because the people that are watching the show can invest. You don't have to be accredited. And I was like, that's amazing. So you just have to be 18 years old. And if you believe in the founder, you can invest. And so I just think that the playing field is being leveled across the board. And that's really interesting and exciting to me. And I think, you know, anybody's positioned for success and that's cool. Yeah, no, this, yeah. I think this resonates massively, right? In a couple of weeks, we're going to be the first ever venture studio to offer equity crowdfunding ever. Yeah, so we're doing an A round. You know, it maxes out at 5 million. And then, uh, you know, we smash that. We'll go for A plus round a uh, year after that. And again, like you say, we want to give access to all. Like we want to have any person who has the opportunity or belief or wants to understand even how do I invest in early stage companies? Mm-hmm. They should have that right. And it's not just necessarily the ability to invest. You can bring your talent, you can bring your influence, you can bring your capital to the studio. You can go build the companies in the studio, right? And in many ways, we're trying to bring more people to the whole space of venture because it's one of these areas that it's sort of almost a mystique, right? It's nobody really understands how it works. It's, it isn't democratized to your point about what you're doing at going public. Again, what a great opportunity as opposed to Shark Tank, where there's the five people in there who are already sort of like, well, we'll just keep this to ourselves. We're the only ones who are going to invest. Yeah. It gives access to a broader audience that lowers the hurdles. It's not a million dollars to play the game. You know, if you've got a couple of hundred dollars in your bank account, that's lowering the barrier massively to give people a shot. Now, yes, don't get me wrong. A couple of hundred bucks is still a lot of money for folks, but the barrier keeps coming down lower and lower and lower and lower. So then the the more people who can play gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think that's a really noble step to make. So tell us then a bit more about going public. Like some of the, I've just been following along on your Instagram or various different things where you're like hanging out with these interesting, fun companies. What are some of the ones that have sort of been a real surprise for you or some of the fun experiences along the way? Yeah, I can't say a whole lot about the companies yet, but... Oh, of course. Sorry. Yeah, no, 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 it'll, it'll all come out soon. But I can say they're all very different, which has been really exciting for me because each represents you know different challenges and opportunities for me as a mentor. And that's really cool. You know, I come from the CPG background, you know, with, with running Schmitz and, and building the brand. And so some of these companies are CPG, but then there's others that are service companies. And I had to step back for a second and think how, you know, what what value can I bring to these these brands? It's very different from, from my own experience. And then I realized like a business is a business. A company is a company regardless, right? And so a lot of, you know, what I had picked up from Grinch, that still applies. And that's been fun and a nice way to stay relevant and challenge myself. And But anyway, you know, more generally speaking, I, the, the show is just, it's groundbreaking. It really is. There's the opportunity for viewers to invest through an app while they watch. So that's really cool. All they, do, they have to do is download this app. They follow the founder's journey. And if they feel connected to the brand and they believe in what they're doing, you know, they simply just can throw in money right there. But it's it's a lot of work behind the scenes. You know, the brands have to get approval from the SEC to yes. raise money. Massive so, work. Yeah, 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 it's a lot of work. But it's really fun to be to be a part of it. And I think from both angles, as a former founder and then now as an investor, just sort of being able to come at my mentoring from that angle of, of experience on both sides. Yeah. And it's also really nice to hear you again, quite openly 
here that you sort of questioned yourself a little bit. It's like, hang on, I'm an expert in consumer goods. Well, how does this, you know, I, I really enjoy your openness there because I think that sort of helps people understand that it's actually okay to sort of have those feelings. Even someone as accomplished as yourself, when you're going into the next thing, like we always have these questions of ourselves, right? And and then openly sharing it with people is more more a sign of strength because you're okay with that, you know? But And then you actually get the breakthrough and realize, hang on a sec, I actually know So it's, you know, a lot of this all applies and there's more growth here for me as well as leveraging my experience already. And I, it's such a powerful step like to, for people to hear that when you say something like that, I think is, you know, but I, I realize now that it actually has worked to my advantage in a way because I, you know, I get in a room with these founders and I don't bring ego. I don't bring this like all knowing sort of energy. It's more like let's approach this in a collaborative way. I can share you know, my experiences and, and what I've learned and we can think strategically together about how we can apply that to more situations. And I think as a mentor, that's been really, really powerful. And I think the brands or the founders just feel a little more at ease in that scenario too, right? They're not being scolded or really, you know, being judged in, in this way that makes them, them, them feel uncomfortable. It's more like, hey, let's approach this together and, and see what we can come up with. Yeah. And it definitely reminds me of the best. I always think the best type of mentoring is two-way, you know, is that you're, you're sharing your insight, but the responses you get back always trigger you to go, hey, I never thought of it like that. Or, yeah. that's interesting, you know, and it's collaborative, as you say, it's it's a rapport. There's no ego on either side because if the mentor has can bring the ego, right? Like I know all these things and I'm coming in as a boss <laughs> and then the founder has this ego, right? This is my company. Like I'm building it my way. I don't need you coming in and telling me what to do. And so if it's the right energy and sort of, you know, approach, I think that both egos sort of sizzle away and you can really create something powerful and come up with real results. Yeah, spot on. Right on to that. So again, I'm just looking forward for yourself. You know, you've got the, the shows coming up. You know, you're you're obviously doing 500 more things, probably. What are some of the areas that are like really exciting you when you're looking forward about uh, new products that maybe you're coming to market, new technology innovations, like things that you're seeing that you're like, you know what, I, I think there's something really fascinating happening in that space. And you're sort of curious about yeah, we'll continue to invest in consumer products companies through my color. But what's been really interesting is this introduction of you know crypto and NFTs and things and how that is not going away. And like we, you know, as investors and brand leaders, we have to embrace this. And I've been spending a lot of time sort of putting thought into like what, what that means, you know, for me as an advisor, a mentor, an investor. And I think it's really challenged for many for many brands. And I but I think it's a big opportunity there too. Yeah, well, like I've got to ask you then, as someone who, again, famously created consumer goods that I could hold in my hand and making this transition to like this notional digital entity of an NFT, what are some of the arguments happening in your head going back and forth here as you're sort of exploring the space? I think brands have to embrace it and just start being some of the first to offer the opportunity. I think, for example, if a customer is checking out a new website and they have they're buying your product. Is there an opportunity for them to you know, add on an NFT that they add to cart that they you know that they walk away with too? And I think there's advantages to both sides here. So the brand obviously is staying relevant, playing the game, the culture game, right? And, but then the customer too is maybe is someone that's a little uncomfortable in this new space. They're a little sort of apprehensive about it, but then they're buying from a brand that they trust and that they've been using for so long. And so then they're like, hey, if I'm going to you know explore this, it's an opportunity for me to jump in. And so 
it'll be fun to watch how that emerges and i'm, I'm excited to, to play a role in it yeah well i'm excited to see what happens i'm a bit like you i always feel like you have to get a little bit of skin in the game to really understand it so even if you buy an nft for one dollar Suddenly you'll read about it or suddenly you'll follow what's happening in it or buy a fractal of a fractal of a Bitcoin. But I'll tell you what, it will make you realize or read about what's going on in Bitcoin like nothing else will. And it's a fun way, like you say, where you see these entrepreneurs and going public and you you give them five dollars. You're going to follow that company and see how they get on. And I think there's always that sort of moment where you once you put a little investment in, you'll follow it and it'll teach you to learn. And. For me, that's one of my ways I sort of force myself as a function, really, to sort of get it, understand these spaces is just make a little investment and find out what happens. So, Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to diversify your investments, right? And just to be culturally relevant. I tweeted right before this call, actually, the, the smartest hire that a brand can make today is a consumer of culture, right? Like somebody who just knows what's happening and is just on top of the game with things like NFTs and crypto and all these you know, things that we get overwhelmed with, but are important for us to know about as brand leaders. Brilliant. So I just want to thank you again for your time today and such a, a open, fun and transparent conversation. I, I learned that you're a massive tennis fan and working on continuing to improve that too as well. So again, thank you very much for sharing, uh, you know, all your knowledge and insight and all the fantastic things you're doing. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Greg.